Welcome to the Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week, we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas. And at least one good story. Episode 68. As I expected, but more so. Namsan, where Jay found a temple. There's really only one thing I can do to start Jay's episode, which is to quote Bruce Chatwin's journal from when he found his way to Patagonia, famously. Walked all day and the next day. The road straight, gray, dusty, and trafficless. So... Jay, can you describe what you look like for my audience? Um, I, th- I thought this was a visual uh, podcast. Oh, that's a bit of a relief. <laughs> I have a face. I have a face made for radio. Let's put it that way. What do you mean? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, actually, right now I'm a bit um, self-conscious of the way I look because I recently shaved all my hair off. Interesting. And so, and that's. You know, when you think of yourself, you have a certain image. And then when I look in the mirror, I look differently than the way I feel like I normally look. And so, yeah, to be honest, it's self-conscious about my uh, buzzed hair. Um, But I did it because of my travels and I didn't want to um, just have to mess with my usual longer hair. And I have a beard. Wait, what what do you have against buzzed hair? I have nothing against buzzed hair. What I have is is just um, it's just an image of myself with longer hair, and <laughs> it's just I know actually we look pretty similar right now, yeah. bearded and buzzed hair. So. <laughs> uh, I I have to point out you look much much thinner than uh, when we last hung out, which was yeah. years ago. Um, not that you were overweight at all, not even a tiny bit, uh, but you look really thin. What, what happened? Um, to be honest, I am not sure. Like it, it happened soon after moving to Thailand a couple of years ago, I realized I was like almost gaunt, you know, like, like not my usual way. And I think it's because... I, while I've always been a runner, like you and I, we used to run and stuff like that. But um, I think the biggest change was the way I ate breakfast. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> so, so I, I love breakfast and I used to make like spam and eggs and bacon and like toast and like almost every day. But now I eat uh, oatmeal and that's it. Like for breakfast during the week, it's oatmeal. Wow. I, I think that's it. I think that's the biggest change. And it just changed when you went to Thailand? Was there a reason for that? Yeah, I couldn't take a dump anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, we're just getting personal right away. I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, with the diet change, um, I realized I just I just need some fiber or something in my diet. So Okay. I went for the oatmeal. <laughs> All right. I, uh, I just have to warn the listeners that... Um, we are used to talking to each other naked (laughs) because when we lived together or when we lived in the same city in Korea, we used to meet uh, in a sauna, which is really common uh, in Korean culture. And uh, naturally when you're sitting across from uh, a naked man, you tend to bare your soul. So (laughs) we get really intense. (laughs) Yeah. On a weekly basis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, can you describe where you are right now? Um, like physically, I am in my apartment in uh, a suburb of Seoul. So, and not as exciting as Busan, but it's pretty it's good for me now. Well, can you paint a picture like what's daily life like? walking to and from work. What do you see? Yeah, I live I live in a high-rise apartment, so I can look out my window and like I'm on the 24th floor. And so I have this fantastic view of, of mountains and, and all kinds of houses and stuff. 
But at the same time, like a big difference between here and, and Busan is that the sky is never blue here. It's always overcast or it's really polluted. And so like I'm constantly looking out the window and just hoping to see blue skies and stuff like that. So I find that to be a little bit depressing. Mm. However, I live like right on this um, like this small river and it has a, a great running path. And so I just got back from that and um, lots of restaurants around here and my school, I could walk to if I want, but they also uh, pick us up in the morning in a bus if we choose to do that. And so it's a pretty convenient location. I'm right on the subway line. It's a nice spot. I can't complain. So usually my next question is what role has travel played in your life? But I want to just set this up for the listeners. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I, uh, you know, even when we were both living in Korea, I just was astounded by <laughs> your approach to travel. Really? Uh, I, I, think you're one of the most prolific travelers that I know. Uh, maybe I'm exaggerating in my mind for some reason. I don't know. But I, I just know that you take really long trips and you take really uh, deep trips. You go deep into the cultures that you go to. And you've been traveling yeah. for a long time. So I wonder if you can, I, I want to open that up and find out why. And, and it, maybe you can list like, uh, your stats a little bit. I, I don't even know the <laughs> of your travels. Yeah, man, I, it, that's a that's an interesting way to put it. I, I've never thought of myself as a prolific traveler because, you know, I see these other travel blogs and I think, man, like they're doing it right. Like they're living a the life. I'm just some, you know, some boring guy just going to see some sites. <laughs> but uh, really, you feel that way. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess I always had this attitude as like, if I can do it, then anyone can do it. You, know? you told me one time that I had to do this one thing and I never did it and it killed me. You stumbled upon this, I think it was a monastery. Uh, yeah. Even, I think, a nunnery? Was it just nuns? It was in Korea. And they, yeah. took, they took you in like you were just... It was an accident and you ended up there and you stayed there. And the way you described it just left such a strong impression in my mind. Like I just haven't done very much um, trusting travel like that where, where I end okay. up in a beautiful experience. You know what I mean? Like, Well, I think maybe, maybe that's what you were thinking about all along. Like I do kind of take that approach when available is to just go with, my gut feeling and if I feel like I can trust this person then give them the benefit of the doubt and it's put me in some amazing amazing situations like stuff I could never I could never find if I wanted to you could only find it if you're not looking for it you know <laughs> well before we try to uh, capture those stories um, has it ever put you in danger has it ever have you ever regretted trusting people um, I would say, no, I, it, it, I feel like maybe somewhere along the line, I was in danger and didn't quite realize it, but <laughs> I've always been a pretty good judge of characters. And I think people for the most part are, are trustworthy, but I think I also have a, a pretty keen eye for, for a situation that is sketchy. Like if I feel even the slightest bit of sketch, like I'm out of there. Mm. And, um, and it also depends on who I'm with, you know, if I'm traveling with a female, I'm like, you know, if I was alone, maybe I'd do this, but I don't trust this guy, you know, I feel protective or whatever, but, but yeah, have, man, I've never been do, in danger. Do you have a quick example of, uh, sketch? Sketch. Um, boy, I guess, um, the, the one that comes to mind is like, like whenever I go hitchhiking and someone pulls over and I just kind of look at them and then they like hop in and I know immediately I'm not getting into a car with this guy. And so I'll ask them where, always ask them where they're going first so that if you don't want to go with them, you could just be like, oh, that's not where I'm going. And then, you know, then it's the situation's over. Mm -hmm. So 
It's my little tip for hitchhiking. Okay. <laughs> so, um, can you give just a quick overview of like, uh, I know you, you know, you've lived lots of places outside the U.S., but you've also taken lots of uh, trips, short and long. So, and also mention where you're from. So, give, just give us an overview of the places you've been. Yeah. So I grew up in, in the outskirts of Philadelphia, and I was there until I turned 18 and then I moved to Virginia to go to university and literally like two weeks after graduating, I moved to South Korea and I haven't looked back really. I've just been in Korea. Uh, I was there for three years, uh, moved back to America to get my master's degree. And it's like literally as soon as I got my degree again, I was back in Asia, <laughs> uh, but went to Thailand, Thailand a second time. And then I felt like I wasn't being paid what I was worth at my job. And so I sought another job and I didn't really care what country it was in, but turns out the best job I could find was back in Korea. So that's why I'm back here now. You uh, say that now, but I don't know. We talked when you were in Thailand and you were like drooling over Korea. You were like talking about how much yeah. you missed it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's funny to hear you downplay that now. Like. Maybe you're reacting to what you found there now. This time, yeah, didn't live up to your memories. Thailand was a big. Um, I don't know. It's hard to describe. I was there, and and I did love certain aspects of it, but ultimately, I figured out that there's some places that are great to live, and there's some places that are great to travel to and visit. And Thailand is the latter, you know. Whereas I think Korea is the former. I don't think Korea would be a particularly great place to travel and visit. Like, I don't think I could travel here for a month. I, I'd get bored because it's so small and homogenous. But uh, Thailand's made for travel. Mm -hmm. so, so people think I'm crazy, but they haven't lived there. They've only visited there. So. Yeah. And then uh, can you rattle off a couple of your um, trips? Like I know you've been to Vietnam and India and. Yeah. Um, the first time I ever traveled was in 2008 and I went with uh, my best friend, Matt Orloff and we were college students. And so we were really poor and that really, really shaped the way we traveled. And uh, so we flew into Manchester, England and you know, went all over Scotland, England, France, um, the Netherlands, and then he left, and then I continued on and went to Spain. That was my first time traveling. But, you know, like I said, we were poor students, and so that led me to sleep in a treehouse community with hippies because I didn't have a, a place to sleep in. And it, and I, I hitchhiked everywhere and, and uh, got picked up by some of the most amazing people in the world, you know? <laughs> okay yeah. so that was so that the was, first one and yeah and then I so i guess get the overview and then then we'll we'll drill down into some of the stories i mean i'm almost i mean it almost doesn't work talking to you for my podcast because you know you have way more stories than the average person you know <laughs> for the average person it's natural for me to ask them to tell me their best travel story you know what i mean but like yeah. I, we can't fit all your stories into this uh, this time slot, so. <laughs> uh, I'll give you the highlight reel, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, so that was in 2008, and then I, um, yeah, so a couple years later, I moved to Korea, and then so every time I had a vacation, I would travel somewhere in Asia. So yeah, I've been to, um, that's the first time I, I've traveled to Thailand was when I first had my vacation in Korea. And then after that, I went to Sumatra in Indonesia. After that, I went to uh, Vietnam, went to Japan. I went to India and immediately, like three days after going to India left because I hated India. <laughs> uh, yeah. I didn't remember that part. I remember you had a reaction, uh, negative reaction. I didn't remember you left after just three days. Oh yeah, man. I was, I, I, sorry if you're listening and you, you love India. I, there's like two types of people in this world. Like those who love India and feel like it's the most amazing spiritual place. 
And then there's me who's just like, this place is a dump. Like there's a dead body on the sidewalk. Is no one going to acknowledge that? <laughs> Wait, really? You saw a dead body? Well, it wasn't moving. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, well, all right, let's, let's pick up right there. Like what uh, did you react against? What happened to you in India? So at that point in my life, I was a fairly confident traveler because I'd, I'd done a lot of it. And I, I did Thailand solo. Like I went there without any friends and I was fine. I had a great time. And so I thought, okay, where to next? How about India? But India is such a different place. Like I would not recommend there going there alone, first of all, because everyone, like literally everyone was trying to take advantage of me. What Every part? turn, like... What's that? What part was this? What part of India? Delhi. Okay. Okay. Um, I never made it out of Delhi, even though my plan was to stay for 17 days and like go to a bunch of places. I never made it out of Delhi because I was too afraid to, because, you know, I was starting to feel sick and I had no one to take care of me if I was sick. People were um, overcharging me for things and there was nothing I could do about it. And so my money was running, running low quicker. Um, and I just, like I said earlier, I just had that sketchy feeling like this is a bad situation. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to get it out of there immediately. And I literally showed up at the airport, like almost in tears, like I, I need a ticket out of here. And then so <laughs> the lady, you know, she starts typing in the computer and she's like, okay, I have a ticket for you, $2,000 to go back to Korea. Jeez. And I... I, I reached this because I didn't have two thousand dollars. So I, I like I left the airport and I just sat down on a bench, and I was like, I'm gonna give myself sixty seconds to just feel sorry for myself, and then I'm going to solve this situation. And then, yeah, and then so I did. So then, like I picked myself up and I and I went to a nearby hotel and they had a computer and I asked if I could use a computer and they said no, and then they asked for a bribery, so I had to bribe them to use their computer. And went online and found a ticket for like $250. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I bought that ticket and kissed any goodbye and said, never again. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> so uh, any other highlights to add before we uh gone uh from india or, or or just other places you've traveled does that come um out? no no I've, I've been to you know um boy let's see i took one trip and went to burma which was amazing and crazy um i spent two summers ago i spent uh about six weeks in china and then the summer after that i spent a couple weeks in laos and then went back up to china and then korea Okay. And then this summer, I just got back from, you know, five weeks in uh, Japan. Yeah, I want to talk about that trip extensively in a bit. Um, but so why do you do this? Like, where did the spark come from to travel so much? Uh, I would probably say it was from watching Indiana Jones movies when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was just sort of admired this like just this intrepid spirit you know to go out and and just see strange things and just explore the world it's just too boring to stay in one place and I get a little restless mm -hmm. so it, it's honestly it's a seek out adventure that's really what it is mm-hmm but why? I mean, like, what does adventure do for you? Just entertainment? Well, yeah, it's certainly entertaining. Um, I don't know why exactly other than, the, yeah, the fact that it's fun. Um, I, in a way, I'm motivated by stories. Like, I've always, like, I always think to myself, okay, would this make a good story? Um, can I talk to my grandchildren about my experience in Burma someday? Or like, can I tell them, can I like, I want these personal anecdotes I can tell my students when I'm teaching. I'm like, 
Oh yeah, this one time I was, you know, in Xi'an, China, and I went to the tomb of, you know, this emperor and stuff like that. And so I, a lot of stuff I do is actually motivated by, can I tell this in a story, you know? So. Did you um, know people when you were growing up who made an impression on you telling those kinds of stories, like teachers or? No, actually. That's not a single person. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I mean, my my parents never leave Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting, though, that you uh, are so driven, or that, they, that you would say that it's to collect stories. You know. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I journal everything. Well, I used to journal more extensively, but now I video everything and, and I turn them into videos so that I can relive it and show it in my classroom and stuff like that, show it to my parents and friends. Mm -hmm. But when I'm on an adventure, I think, okay, how am I going to film this? Like, how am I going to show this? Yeah. Just uh, on a personal note, I have to ask, what is the response to those videos like? Are you really sharing that with people and do you get a gratifying feedback from them, a gratifying reaction, or is it more just for you? Yeah, I would have to say it's never gratifying to see other people's responses. Because, um, you know, so, I'll, okay, so for example, I posted a video a couple days ago, right? And this video is 15 minutes long. And Literally two minutes after posting it, I already had a couple likes. And I'm just thinking, it's a 15 minute video and, and I just posted it. Like you obviously didn't watch the video. And, and so, I don't know. I, I put it on there just, yeah, to in case someone's interested. But for the most part, I assume that no one really watches it. Mm -hmm. I only, I watch it periodically. Just, I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I, I ask as, you know, someone who does the same thing and there's not much response usually, you know, I set yeah. out at first thinking, oh, I'm going to share with people back home, you know, these things. And then I realized, you know, I'm, <laughs> there's not many others in, that I know that are doing the same thing and it doesn't mm -hmm. make much of an impact in their lives when I share it yeah. and it's uh i don't know it's a weird drive that i can't figure out you know yeah yeah the, the drive to tell people yeah the drive to share it yeah to, to document and share it you know like well i feel like like the only thing that we can ever really keep from a trip is is our memories of it and so that's why i like to record it um because the trip is over. Like when I was in Japan and, and walking every day, it was like so slow. And I thought, I'm never going to finish this trip. I'm never going to make it back to Korea. But here I am. And the only thing I really have with me is, is the story of my journey. Mm -hmm. so. so, Jay, has all this travel changed you? And how? Um, yeah. I would, it's definitely changed me, but how? That's, that's interesting. I'd like to think that I'm more of an open-minded person. It's, it's hard to be. I, I'm, I feel like a more informed person. I, I hear a lot of opinions, um, you know, from people who have never left America. And I always have to stop myself from jumping on them and being like, well, have you actually been there? You know, like, like South Korea isn't uh, that dangerous. Um, you know, they have internet and cell phones there, or, you know, like talking about people's judgments of, of certain cultures, or sometimes I'll say something that sounds judgmental and they'll be like, how can you say that? And I'll be like, cause I was there and I saw it with my own eyes. So <laughs> don't judge me for talking about something I saw. You know? <laughs> It's hard to imagine you being a close-minded person beforehand. Was that really something that changed or were you always yeah. open-minded? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was like a You like got a, support. I was that. a pretty Yeah, I was a pretty close-minded like hardcore like Republican um like 
like super Christian. And, and that's not to say I'm not still Christian, but you know, one of the first things I remember thinking when I moved to Asia was like, wow, these people believe in Buddhism just as much as Christians believe in Christianity. And that was a startling thought to me. Was and there I don't a know why. person or something you saw? Um, or just in general? It was just in general, I think, um, just visiting the temples. That's typically the first thing you see when you travel in Korea. You go to temples and stuff, and it's like, they have this rich history here that's affected their culture and just the way it has in America with Christianity. And I don't know, it just made me uh, less quick to make judgments about being correct about things in life. Can you pick one temple and describe the experience of walking into it? Uh, well, I could elaborate on that story that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Um, so I had heard about that temple. See, I had always wanted to do a temple stay. Um, but I find the experience to be really manufactured and, and fake. And like the idea of spending money to like sit with Buddhists and, and go through all the motions, it just seemed like it wasn't really worth it. But then but, I had heard that there's like... By the way, that, that's what we did. We went to Bamasa in Busan and we paid for the overnight temple stay. And it was really manufactured. And it was yeah. cool, but it was... Yeah, it's strange. You feel like this guy's putting on a show for us. You know, like it's yeah. not... Uh, I don't know. It's uh, hard to feel like it's that authentic, you know? Right. You feel like a tourist. Right. Which yeah. you are, I mean, <laughs> in that, yeah, thing. yeah, <laughs> but but like, I, I don't want to feel like a tourist, like, I wanted to, I, I wanted to be a part of the real situation. So, anyway, I, I heard about this temple that that the, the nun is, is actually receptive towards people staying, and so I literally showed up one day and <laughs> I mean I mean I could I could go on and on about this story it was kind of Please weird do. it was just yeah, it was in, the whole story it was, <laughs> it was in the middle of winter and so I I don't know where I'm going I just heard I literally just heard rumors about how to get to this place like it's at the top of this mountain in this town like on the outskirts of this town and so like I get out of the train I hop in a taxi and I just I don't speak Korean I'm just like Namsan Mountain and so he takes me to Namsan Mountain and I get out and I look around and he literally like points in one direction. And I didn't know what he meant by that, but I was like, all right, I'm going to go with this. And so I start walking in that direction and it, and it took me to a trail and I start walking up this trail. And eventually then the landscape just gets more beautiful and beautiful. There's, there's like mystical bamboo forest. Like it's totally stereotypical the way it looked. And then it starts to snow on me. And I was like, wow, I feel like I'm walking in, into like some old movie about, you know, being trained in, in martial arts or something. <laughs> so so I, I, I get to the top of the mountain and the, per the person who greets me is a white woman. Um, which was kind of weird, but her head was completely shaved. She was completely bald and she spoke to me in English and, and then they asked what I was doing there. And I, and I told them, you know, I asked if I could, could stay there and they said, they said, sure, you can stay here. You just have to do some work and, and then that's fine. And so I kid you not, they had me carrying buckets of water up stairs. Like I was like, like a, like a big, there must have been like 50 or 70 stairs. I'm carrying buckets of water up to like <laughs> clean things. And it was, it was crazy. So, so yeah. So, so anyways, I'm there and, and I'm talking to the Korean nun and we are doing the ceremonies. We we're bowing, like you're supposed to bow. I think, I think it was like 88 times and, and I'm, and they're showing me around and, and like I can see in the floor of the temple, these grooves from where they bow, they bow so frequently that there's like literally grooves in the ground. Like, like I, I just felt like I was taking part in this really authentic um, thing that's been happening for hundreds and hundreds of years. And since they're all women, they wouldn't let me sleep in the temple. So they put me into a different place called the Dharma room. 
And so I'm in this room and it's super old and I'm looking around at all these carvings and these paintings of like evil spirits and like good spirits fighting each other. And I had the most vivid dream and I woke up sobbing my eyes out. And I don't know why, but I just felt like it was something to do with being there at that temple. Do you remember the dream? Yeah, my mother was dying of cancer. Oh man. And, uh, but it was so vivid and, and, and I woke up just, I was shaking. And so anyways, I asked the, the nun, the, the female monk the next day, like, I've never had a dream like this before. I've never woke up crying before. Like, is it coincidence that it was when I was here? And she believes that it was because it was like my body or like my soul sort of digesting uh, bad karma from, from my past lives. And stuff and so you know i don't know if i believe that or not but i just thought it was really interesting did you uh call your mom i did yeah <laughs> she's yeah, okay <laughs> yeah she's okay yeah she sent me a message this morning she's fine as far as i know <laughs> <laughs> so you you did get to talk to the nun then yeah yeah she spoke english uh the white nun is actually from czech republic and she devoted her life to Korean Buddhism. And that's why she was there. She's probably still there today. Uh, I need to interview her. So you have to go back and uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe you can become a correspondent for the Observer. Yeah, yeah I'll go find you some people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm curious, did you talk to the nun about why she welcomes people like that? Uh, you know, I didn't ask her specifically, but um, she just seemed excited to um, to entertain people who are like really looking for for, for meaning or for purpose or to, to really find out about what Buddhism is all about. You know, and, and it's funny, it wasn't like she was trying to convert me either. She wasn't like some some missionary. She was just she was just doing the, her thing that she's been doing her whole life and just sharing it with me it was beautiful. It was, I felt like as a, as a Christian, I could, I could learn from that experience to not shove things, my beliefs down other people's throats. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like that description fits you, someone who's seeking for meaning? Yeah, always, always seeking. And what does that look like? Is there... <laughs> something specific you're looking for is there an end to that or is that just an orientation to the world that's just totally open and receptive like her or do you know what i mean do you, do you expect to find meaning one day have you found it <laughs> um to be honest you know it's something that as the older and older i get not that i'm that old <laughs> but um <laughs> It's like the more the things that I used to think were meaning are less meaning, you know, not to get too far into my beliefs in Christianity, but I find more and more that um, the meaning I find in life is less in religion and more in um, just kind of serving others. And I find the best way for me to do that is by being a teacher. And um, which goes along with Christian views, you know, uh, you know, loving your neighbor and all that. So I, I find that for me, the best meaning is to educate people, um, to pour my heart, my efforts into other people, um, children, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's what that's what keeps me alive. Do you feel any remorse or regret about that? Um... It sounds like a change in your religion. Um, regret, regret, and and I don't know. Can you? What do you mean, regret? Uh, I'm just wondering about that process of change. How do you characterize it? Like, uh, I think really, you know. Subscribing to a religion is one of the most vulnerable things to travel because like you said earlier, you're confronted with the fact that other people strongly believe something that's 
completely different than what you believe in, you know? It's yeah. just something I grapple with all the time, you know? I'm still part of the tradition that I was dropped into by birth. You know, I'm still a Christian, but I can't reconcile the fact that there are faithful Buddhists and Muslims. And when you travel, you see that right in front of your eyes. You know, you look into the eyes of people who are more faithful than you in a yeah. different direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. And for me, it's kind of um, a little sad to, I mean, it's joyous, but it's also a little bit hard to, um, I don't know, for me, for whatever reason, it's a hard situation to accept that everyone's believing in different directions. Yeah. I, I think that's just let, let I think that's just led me to be open to the idea that I could be wrong about this. Mm -hmm. You know, like I don't believe I like I, I do believe that that some Christians are convinced that what they believe is absolutely true. But to me, it would seem more authentic if someone were to say, I believe what I believe is true, but I'm open to the possibility that it could be wrong. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's the best answer because if you say that I am right 100% about my beliefs in the afterlife, then I think you're, you know, a pretty narrow-minded person and a little bit too cocky, perhaps maybe a little bit arrogant in your beliefs. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, I always wonder where that uh, approach or that surety comes from. You know, people. That I think it comes from like ignorance. I think it really comes from ignorance. And mm -hmm. I think travel helps you get rid of that ignorance. Mm -hmm. you know? But travel doesn't give you, it doesn't replace you with another certainty. <laughs> or it doesn't right. replace that with another certainty for you. It just puts exactly. it in place, you know? <laughs> yeah. See, and that's another thing. I think it's, it's good. And, and I've come to this place where I'm comfortable being uh, unsure about anything. I think it's okay to say, you know what? I don't know what the answer is. And that really freaks people out because people love to give answers. You know, if, and, and it's rare that you meet someone who says, I don't know, and then leaves it at that. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know, do you come across people like that? Yeah, it, I think, uh, I, I think most of the travelers I've talked to have an approach like that. I think travel does put you in that space pretty yeah. firmly. So, yeah. But I guess I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm digging into this with you because I'm afraid uh, a little bit, as much as I believe this, that, you know, maybe some people in my family are right. And I'm, you know, I've been misled <laughs> somehow by this, uh, but I, I, so there's a tension there, but I don't know uh, how to go back to <laughs> that yeah. single-minded certainty that, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So what other stories pop up into mind? I, I, I wanna just, collect as many of your stories as I can before we finish and uh, maybe you can save the best one for last and I still want to Boy, talk about your pilgrimage but uh, but just yeah. whatever, just free for all what jumps up well I always find that the, the best trips are the ones where things go wrong and I also find <laughs> that those are the stories that people like to listen to they, they people don't <laughs> like to listen my family and friends they don't care about you know the amazing sunset i saw at the top of this you know the tallest mountain in this country like people don't care about that crap they care about you know the time um having lunch in a jungle and an orangutan comes out of nowhere and starts charging us and like we had to like leave everything and just run down a mountain because what? the animal was charging at us what really yeah yeah <laughs> so you can outrun an orangutan? Well, it was it was trying to scare us away because it wanted our food, apparently. Okay. 
Um, that's what the guide said. So, so it was so I felt impressive to drive you away on purpose. Yeah. So this particular orangutan was actually um, kind of famous in the area. The, the, the guides knew her. They call her Jackie. And they said that she can get really aggressive if she wants your food. And so they saw her coming out on the trail and they're like, it's okay. Like she's, she's all right. But then once she started like rushing towards us, I, once I saw the guide, the guides started running away and saying, go, 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 go. And I was like, if the guides are running, then we must be in big trouble. So I <laughs> rushed out of there. Yeah. And then ate all of our food. <laughs> and where was that? Was that in Indonesia? Yeah. Sumatra. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's always one of my more favorite favorite things because I don't know I don't know exactly how much danger I was in like I could have been killed maybe or maybe I would have been completely fine I'm not sure but you know how many people can say they've been chased by an orangutan in the wild <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, what else I actually have it on, I actually have that on video yeah yeah can we uh, include a link to that on the uh the page for this episode <laughs> yeah except except it's not that exciting because i put the camera at my side because i'm running so it's just like shaky screen you hear me giggling like a little girl <laughs> <laughs> awesome <laughs> so, so that's a that's a fun story to tell but i i'd say that some of my most favorite stories are in europe um I, you know, I could go, I could go on and on about Europe. Um, but um, this one time I was uh, caught in Southern France. I couldn't get anywhere because I was hitchhiking. And seriously, like, like hours and hours and hours sticking my thumb out and like nothing. And then I got picked up by this really tiny car full of musical instruments and two guys. <laughs> and turns out they were a jazz band and they were, they were going to a show and they asked me if I wanted to go with them. And so I said, sure, let's go. And so they were busking in the streets and they asked if I would babysit one of their children, oh <laughs> which I, which I did like, and, and, and it wasn't even like I'm there within sight. It was like, okay, I'm taking this little child around the city, like way out of sight of his, of his father. And wow, it was, so anyway, the, the reason why they asked me to babysit is they're like, um, you can stay with us tonight. You can stay in our uh, in our place if you like watch our kid for us. And I was like, all right. So I did. Wow. And then they whisked me off to their mountaintop hut. They, they constructed a hut in the Pyrenee Mountains and uh, where they started just playing jazz music, drinking wine, and smoking marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy story. Hey, can you tell about uh, Taze? Oh, yeah. I've been there twice now. Um, yeah, the first time I went there at the recommendation of a friend, I really didn't know much. It was back in 2008, you know, so the internet was obviously around, but there weren't that many resources to look up this place called Taze. So I just kind of went there because I like to take people's recommendations. And he said, you should check this place out. So I, so I go there, I end up hitchhiking there. And, um, and I have no idea what I'm like stepping into. Um, you know, I was afraid they're going to give me some Kool-Aid and like make me drink it or something. <laughs> but, uh, it ended up being this like incredibly sincere just community of, of um, they don't call themselves monks, they call themselves brothers, but basically it's just a religious community of, of men and women who live together, but separately. And they, um, they pray and they sing and it's, it sounds kind of like a hippie community, but it's, it's really just this, kind of like a monastic lifestyle so anyway i go there and i don't really know what's going on and and i and i uh and i sit down and they explain it to me and basically every day you you wake up to the sound of bells ringing and you go into the main uh hall where 
um, you sit on the floor and then all these brothers come in and they're all wearing white, white robes and everyone sits on the ground and they start singing. Literally, they started singing some of the most beautiful music I've ever heard in my life. And, uh, and really simple uh, songs like that just repeat over and over again, like one or two. Um, I would describe them, I would describe the lyrics as like lines of truth, like just a simple line from the Bible or like a simple prayer that is just repeated over and over again. And anyways, to me, that was one of the most prolific moments of my spiritual life, just sitting there and observing. So anyways, um, I was there for a couple of days and um, changed me forever, I think. Wow. It's hard to describe. It's hard to describe, to be honest. Yeah. I remember we uh, got a uh, postcard from you from there. Oh, yeah. In Busan. And uh, it was very impressive. <laughs> uh, I don't even remember sending that. I, uh, I bet I still have it somewhere. I'll have to take a look for it. Yeah, wrote Boy, I'd be, about it. Yeah, <laughs> be curious to, to see what I wrote on that. I honestly don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, are there any stories that you feel like you love? But you, you mentioned earlier that people prefer to hear the um, problem stories that are more dramatic and exciting. You know. Yeah. But, are there any that you hope you can convey to your grandkids that are just for you so far? Oh boy, that is a, a good question. Um, I, I ask because my dream is to make this uh, podcast a repository for all those uh, neglected travel stories that, you know, people yeah. come back bursting to tell and stop telling after a few tries you know and keep right. themselves like i just i want to go out into the world and just honor you know this is a way to love people by listening mm -hmm. to these neglected stories so i'm curious if you have any like that yeah i do and and the funny thing is 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 maybe they they don't seem that special unless you've been through it um so the, the stories that come to my mind are, are pretty simple ones. Um, probably the first thing that ever happened to me that I thought was just truly amazing, but maybe people don't really find it amazing is um, when I went to Europe that first time in 2008 and uh, me and my buddy, Matt Orloff were, were uh, going to France and we, we get on a train and we arrive in Paris really late at night and we didn't have a place to stay at all. And so, we're just wandering around the city, trying to find a place to sleep, considering sleeping like on the streets. That's that's where we were. <laughs> but then I, I was like, man, why don't we just jump over this gate and sleep in this park? Because they, they locked the parks up at night, public parks. So we literally climbed over this huge iron fence and found some trees in the middle of the park and like set up our hammocks. And we're just gonna sleep in a public park. And then, um, but then I like, as I'm setting up my hammock, I hear my buddy like calling out to me like, JJ, you got to come up here. And I was like, like what? And so I, I like kind of run up this hill and like, as I run up the hill in the distance, like the Eiffel Tower comes, comes <laughs> out of nowhere. It's like the first time I ever see the Eiffel Tower. And it was like this amazing moment of just being surprised that it was there and it was all lit up and beautiful. And I don't know, it, it's hard to express how, joyful it felt in the moment to be like wow there it is and i totally didn't expect that <laughs> that's beautiful that's really beautiful <laughs> yeah i don't know how exciting it is but that was a, that was a fun story yeah so that's one i, I don't know what, what else you'd want to hear well uh before we head into the home stretch i'm just curious if you have any other thoughts about travel in general like how it works like why does it provide such joy and uh 
you know, it just seems so healthy to seek those experiences that remind you, I don't know, it, it just puts you in a positive mood, I feel like, when you travel. Because yeah. either you're surviving, you're overcoming obstacles like India, <laughs> you know, or you're being uh -huh. fed spiritually like in Taze, or you're just reduced to a child in Glee in Paris. Yeah. You know, like, uh, unless a tragedy happens, like, it's just heightened life, you know? Exactly. What do you think? <clears throat> I mean, I, I feel like you answered the question for me. I mean, that is, <laughs> that is what it is. It takes you out of your comfort. Um, it's, you're being put in these, in these situations that are like, no one is going to solve this for me. It's, it's me. I need to decide, am I going to take a train here or am I going to take a bus there? You know, do I want to risk this? Is it worth it? Um, you know, what is, what is worth risking my life potentially? Mm. You know, do I trust the situation? Do I, um, you know, it's like, it's like little things that, that really make you feel alive. Like when I was in Burma and there's like this uh, water festival going on and I'm walking through this village and this lady runs out to me with a big vat of red liquid and she, she hands me a cup of this red liquid and i'm thinking to myself i could say no and be rude but i won't get sick or i could just be grateful and like accept this kindness that she's offering and potentially risk like getting really sick like i don't know what this drink is and i don't know how clean she was when she was making it and so it's like these little decisions that make you feel alive and and when you drink it and she's all grateful and, and you don't get sick, which I didn't get sick, you're like, that was amazing. That was a, that was a risk I was willing to take. And I don't know. That's a kind of a cheesy example, but it's travel is full of those moments. It, it makes it interesting. Funny you say it's cheesy because my heart's glowing. I mean, that's that perfectly crystallizes the idea in, in a concrete image, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> That's why I was looking forward to um, having this interview with you finally so much. Yeah. <laughs> You're so good at, at recognizing the, the value in those experiences and, and what meaning they carry, you know? Well, uh, do you have time for two more questions? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, the first one is a two-parter. <laughs> okay, well, that's <laughs> cheating. Were you the one that told me that um, the Camino de Santiago uh has wine fountains and you can just like carry a flask and fill up on wine in the public plaza yeah no that's a true story that is uh that was interesting <laughs> so i would say the trip is worth it for that alone i mean it's it's one of those things that you hear but like that can't really be true had you but heard it like, before you went no, I had not heard it until I was close to the town and someone was like, yeah, there's a wine fountain here. And I was like, that can't be true. And, and I got there and it was true. And the guy I was with, you know, he had a guitar and I had my banjo and it was raining. So we're like, let's sit here, let's drink wine and play music. And so we're playing music as other pilgrims are walking by and they're clapping along as they go by. And so we stay there until the rain dies down, which it never did. So by the time we're like, we got to get going, we were both completely drunk and stumbling around, but still playing our musical instruments. And we filled up a couple of water bottles with wine. So we're, we're bringing it with us. And yeah, it, it was, uh, oh, that was a, yeah, quite an adventure that, <laughs> that time. <laughs> okay so that's just part one of this question <laughs> okay we uh we started talking about this a little bit in the, the preparation for this interview before we started recording last time i want you to talk about those two pilgrimages you've been on the one in spain that's really famous to uh santiago de compostela uh -huh. and the one that you just took in Japan, the Shikoku? Yeah, the Shikoku. Mm -hmm. Shikoku pilgrimage. 
Um, so right. it's a doozy of a question, but <laughs> can you yeah. just encapsulate like, both those experiences uh, and how they're different? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we've spoken a little bit about this before, so sorry if I'm repeating myself, but um, basically the Shikoku Japanese pilgrimage was what I thought the Camino was going to be. Um, I envisioned myself on the Camino as being like really alone and just like traveling every day. Um, Cause I didn't, I didn't travel with anyone. I was completely alone and I thought that I would be hiking every day and, and sort of like this thoughtful, almost prayerful uh, way. But it ended up not being that at all. Some and of the best people I've ever met. Really quick for anyone who's listening that doesn't know, it's like a medieval uh, traditional pilgrimage, supposedly to the site where the body of James the Apostle landed in Spain on the western coast because he had preached there. Yeah, uh, Miraculously, his body landed there. So medieval pilgrims have been or had been going there for centuries. And now it's it's a big deal. Lots and lots of people do it for all kinds of reasons and it starts in france in the pyrenees and it's like six weeks right um it took me 30 33 days okay where did you start uh saint jean de port in uh, france okay which is the traditional starting spot okay and and so you were picturing that being very prayerful and solitary and yeah and it, and it it's it started off that way because I started a little bit later in the day and I had walked almost the entire day without seeing another pilgrim. But by the time I got to the lodging for that night, it was full of other people. And so mm-hmm. I basically spent the rest of the trip um, seeing the same people every single day because we're all walking to the same place. And you just sort of end up meeting people and... Um, and um, you end up relying on each other. For example, I I was out of um, I was out of euros. I only had U.S. dollars, and I couldn't um, I couldn't convert it into euro, and so my money was worthless. And so I was literally starting to despair over I have no money, and so I just kind of sat down at this table. And I was so low that I, I literally just went up to this stranger, this woman, and I said, hey, I'm not trying to scam you. Like, I have money, but it's U.S. Can I trade you this for euro? And she's like, she's like, sure, I'll give you 20 euro. Like, you don't even have to, you only have to give me the U.S. dollars. Like, I'll just trust you and you can pay me back whenever you can. And I was so grateful for that. And I was so happy. But then to make things better, like, like seriously, like 10 feet behind her, like sitting on another table, this guy like yells out, what's he going to do with 20 euro? Give him 50. <laughs> so, she, <laughs> so she gives me 50 euros, you know, and she's just like, I trust you to pay this back uh, if you can. Wow. And, and, and I spoke to her a couple days ago, like, like she became a great friend. Wow. So yeah, and I, and I end up falling like head over heels for this girl, like just a, a massive crush on this girl on this trip. And, and so my point is it was very social and, and people are doing it for religious reasons, some of them, but most of them were just doing it for personal reasons, you know, um, not necessarily spiritual reasons. Did, did um, you which have is, a personal reason or like, were you looking um, to do something? with that trip for me it was more spiritual than than not Mm -hmm. i i don't necessarily want to talk about what it was but uh yeah it was more spiritual in nature Okay. okay um which is in stark contrast to the um the pilgrimage in japan because people do that mostly for religious reasons and while the camino was like really social and every night you know, we sit together in a pub somewhere, you know, drinking wine and talking and laughing about the day. On the Shikoku Trail, I was really isolated. And it could be because I was doing it in the summer, uh, which is off season, but I just found it to be way more isolating. And every day I had to rely on my, myself to, to motivate myself. I had literally no one 
pulling me out of bed. I had no one to lean on when I was really tired or and stuff like that. No one to talk to when I was bored. So it's much more isolating. And but I received what I wanted, which was time to think and and moments where my mind can wander to places where it would normally not wander to. And how long was the Shikoku pilgrimage? Uh, it took about five weeks. And you're yeah, walking I, like 10 hours a day? Yeah, it depends on the day. It's about 10, 10, 12 hours a day just walking. And you said last time we talked about this, something just fascinating, a brilliant insight. And you kind of just said it now, but can you say it again? Like what happens when you're thinking while walking that long? Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I was careful to not distract myself with listening to music because I wanted this pilgrimage to be a time to think, a time to unplug. And so as I'm walking and I'm thinking and, and you know, after a while you, you start, you, you know, you think about family, you think about fun times and, and, you know, future plans that you want to do. And all these are really pleasant things, but eventually you just run out of things to think about. And naturally my mind started to go in, to places that I, I wouldn't normally want them to go to. I start thinking about past regrets. I start thinking about things I wish I'd done differently or you know, thoughts that are scary, uh, things that I would normally not confront in my mind. And, and, and that's just kind of what happened when you are alone and walking for 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And it, it really led to some, some serious thinking and, and hopefully some big changes in my life. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you've already told so many good stories. Uh, it seems redundant to even ask this, but it would be beautiful if we can end on a really high note. Uh, what is your? What do you consider your best travel story? Woo! Yeah, best travel story. Ah, oh, boy. I think one of my favorite travel stories uh, was when I was, again, hitchhiking in France. And so me and my friend were, were, were trying to get to Omaha Beach, right? You know, I'm a big history lover. I wanted to get to Normandy. I wanted to see where this invasion happened. So we're hitchhiking there and we're really close. And out of nowhere, like we weren't, our thumbs weren't out, our sign wasn't up, we were just walking. And out of nowhere, this car just like zooms in in front of us. And like this old lady comes out and ushers us into her car. We get in her car um, and there's a big dog in there and, and everything. And and uh, only he speaks English, only the, the man, his name is Claude. And, and so they're, you know, they're like, they could tell we were hitchhiking because we had the sign strapped to our back, but we weren't holding it out. So I, I thought it was pretty interesting that they stopped to pick us up. So they took us to Normandy and they, they showed us the beach and told us some of the history. And then they asked, like, where are you sleeping tonight? And we said, oh, we don't know. We'll probably just sleep outside somewhere. I'm like, why don't you come stay with us in our house? So they took us to this huge mansion, you know, um, this like big gate opens up and, and we go in there and I get the first bath that I, you know, the first shower I've had in seriously eight days like like i was really dirty and tired and and uh and the most amazing dinner that they cooked for us and we like stayed up really late at night like drinking really good whiskey and and talking to these complete strangers about everything and it was just a really special moment because they like really cared and like really wanted to get to know us and and maybe it's because we were american and they from normandy and they, they still remember uh, World War II. Um, but yeah, they were really, really kind to us. And so anyways, the next day they gave us a cell phone, they packed us food, and they gave us money. And they said, you know, go out and explore and, and then call us and we'll come pick you up wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what we did. We, you know, we explored the area and, and then they picked us up and the same thing again. We had another amazing dinner and talking with them. And they were so kind that I actually felt like they had some 
other motive behind it, you know? Like, I was like, is this really happening? Are they really this kind to us? But, but they were. And, and the, the next day they packed us a lunch and they drove us to our next destination. Um, you know, it was amazing. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> Thank you so much to Jay for taking all the trips that he has and setting such a wild example. I hope I make it to those mythical fountains of wine in Spain that I never saw when I was there last year. Please take a moment to look at kiva.org, K-I-V-A dot org. I know there's a lot going on in the world right now uh, that can use donations. Uh... But this isn't a donation, this is just a business loan to a uh, small business in a country that uh, makes it hard to get capital. And it's a good steady way to get connected with other cultures and make a big difference with a small effort. Kiva.org Also, you can join the Observer Effect uh, Kiva team if you follow the link on our webpage or on Facebook. Also, Next week is our first live show in downtown Chicago on October 1st. Please come out to the Whole House Dining Hall at the Jane Addams Museum on Halstead Street on the UIC campus just off the Blue Line. There's parking nearby too. If you're not in Chicago, let your friends there know. Really, it's just an excuse to throw a party for my friends and former colleagues and students but they're welcome to. <laughs> Each week we hope to bring you a conversation with someone overseas. <laughs> Each week we hope to bring you a conversation with someone overseas. And at least <laughs> a good story. <laughs>